Welcome on into the show. My name is Danny Gallagher, and I am joined by the snare campaign provocateur. Uh, sing us a song. He's the reader man. Sing us a song this morning. It's Benny right. Roberts. What's up, dude? I'm all about the children, hence yeah. my headphones. Trying. I'm not trying to adapt to a new world right now. This is uh, purely purely the work of not having anything else to use, but they look pretty good on me. Yeah, I like them. What do you think? I- you got them after, uh, you know, Benny giving back this morning, reading to the children. That's it. And they, in exchange, they gave you some headphones. I love yeah, it. Yeah, feeling good. I heard you had a crazy sports experience. Well, so I didn't think I was capable of getting hurt anymore. You know, you kind of get into this business. You kind of, you know, you, you leave the fan stuff to the side. I get happy sure. when teams that I used to work for have success. People I used to work with had success. That really builds you up. But, man, let me tell you, this Marquette-Michigan State game on Sunday destroyed me. Dude, I don't know if you've ever done this, and I'm just going to embarrass myself because it's a tune-up audience, and I love you. I think you guys, like, know us. Dude, I started playing – I started, like, getting in, like, defensive stances in my living room. That's how bad it got. Get down! (laughs) I was like, like, energy, energy! You're like Mike Krzyzewski. I'm like, what's happening to me? Yeah, yeah. No, it's right. I mean – it was a good run, you know, yeah. like you got to be happy with the run, but in the moment, it's hard to be logical. Once you get your hopes up and you, you see a window, you know, I feel for you, man. I feel and for you. It's funny because, you know, the girlfriend did not grow up with sports in the home, did not grow up with brothers, did not grow up with this being like normal behavior. So yeah. she, like, I get the side eye a lot. So. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> It doesn't make a lot of sense to people. No, no. And it, it does make sense to me. Like, as it should As it yeah, should no, no. Yeah. And this was me last night at the Nets game after <laughs> oh, the end a, of that a game. nine point lead with 90 seconds left, three atrocious turnovers, a lost ball, and an Isaac Okoro corner three. This is all I could do. Yeah. Oh. Oh. <laughs> That's it. And then I got my jacket and just took oh, off as quickly just, as i could just go home but, yeah, yeah. oh what's good with you dude what's new um got some more dates since we last talked hanging got- in i got lots of gaslit anthem shows i got the misfits now we got yeah. to announce which is quite the cool thing a few town liar shows through the summer so i'm gonna be a, a busy beaver gotta keep these hands nice and warm the misfits that's like Another coronation, almost a passing of the torch, if you will, there at the Prudential Center on July 8th. So, I mean, listen, we've opened for Bruce Springsteen. We've opened for the Bouncing Souls. And, you know, now we add the Misfits to the list, among others. Who's next? Frankie Valley. We are playing with Wayne Newton. Yeah, I love it. I love it. (laughs) No, I mean, that's a cool one, man. Like, everyone keeps asking me, though, like, oh, you're going to you know, talk to Danzig. You're going to do this. I'm like, I don't know. I kind of don't want to, you know, (laughs) I just want to let the mythology like be what it is. You know, they have a hell of a mythology. You know, like I I know the music, but like, I didn't know like the other crazy stuff that's happened with them. Awesome. Awesome. Rock and roll story. Yeah. Crazy rock and roll story for sure. One that I'm, I'm happy to open for but I don't, I don't want to become part of that narrative, you know, hundred (laughs) percent. Well, you know what segment is part of rock and roll narrative each and every week and each and every time we do it. Is it this day in music history?
In this day, 1958, your boy, Elvis Presley, goes to the Memphis Draft Board and enters the United States Army. You know, I this is like one of those, you know, blips on a career where you're like, oh, yeah, Elvis did this among a lot of baseball players and stuff in that day. But it was a big deal. He's like the most famous guy in, in you know, America and maybe getting up there in the world at that point. So after he wrapped up his movie King Creole, he reported to the Memphis Draft Board, joined 12 other recruits, headed to Arkansas, where he became Private Presley. He was determined to treat, uh, you know, to be treated, you know, normally there. He said, the Army can do anything it wants with me. He ended up serving in a tank division, shipped off to Germany for 18 months. Apparently, he was an exemplary soldier, uh, earned medals for marksmanship and sergeant stripes. But I didn't realize this. These two little facts about Elvis going to the military was he, he picked up his amphetamine habit that eventually contributed to his death. And I think that's uh, sort of a underlooked um, you know, focus of some of the issues with the military and having people away. I think it seems as if a lot of people come back with different types of addiction problems on how to the time and the stress and the things that they're actually dealing with. Also, he meets 14-year-old Priscilla Boulot, the stepdaughter of an Air Force captain who will go on to marry seven years later. So, interesting stint in the military for Elvis. You know, I don't know if he was in any kind of active anything, but uh, he, in quotes, said, people were expecting me to mess up, to goof up in one way or another. They thought I couldn't take it, so forth, and I was determined to go to any limits to prove otherwise, not only to the people who are wondering, but myself. This is kind of part and parcel to a uh, perfectionist artist, you know, like when you have a challenge or something that everybody says you can't do, you you, you, you wind up doing it. So pretty interesting mm. thing for Elvis in the military. By the way, it's, it's funny that you bring up Elvis, not just because of like the year and where he is in culture. His great granddaughter, no, his granddaughter is in that show uh, Daisy Jones and the Six on Amazon right now. Is that right? She good? She can sing. All right. And she's good in the show. So, love that. Yeah. Love that. So you love to see, hey, talent, once it gets in there, it can't quite get out. So. What do Something you got? Like what do you got for this? Day? Oh, do I have a fun one for you today? Oh, boy. On this day in 1992, a Chicago court settled the Millie Vanilli class action oh. suit by approving cash rebates of up to $3 to anyone proving that they bought the group's music before November 27th, 1990. Uh, the date the lip syncing scandal broke, Millie Vanilli won the 1989 New Best Artist Grammy after... Uh, blame it on the rain and girl, you know, it's true selling 30 million singles and 14 million albums. Uh, but late 1990, the performance were stripped of it after it was revealed that neither actually sang on the album. So a great, you know, they got three bucks and three bucks in 1992 got you a lot further than it would today. So I kind of feel bad for Millie Vanilli. I got to be honest. Wow. How many, how many people have been like, pop performers who have barely written barely performed on their songs just to uh you know and sort of been the face the entertainment face of of some sort of you know marketing division basically that's all like this was they were great dancers they were very uh you know had a lot of had a lot of moxie 
and a great look. And, you know, I felt like they were sort of unfairly like pointed out for something that probably like hundreds of other people do. And I don't know if you know, they had an awful life afterwards and it did not work out well for those guys. So I, uh, I always kind of feel bad for Millie Vanilli in this one. I think they were, you know, singly targeted when like a lot of people could have been in those days, you know, especially these days, you don't even know whose voice you're hearing anymore, you know? I don't think it, uh, I don't even think that this lawsuit, I don't think people would have a problem having sold. They'd be like, oh, like, well, like the the idea of telling like somebody that's 18 years old to buy an album is like, they oh, like, like look what? at you crazy. But they're also yeah. like three bucks. Yeah. That ain't shit. Yeah. yeah. They'd be like, oh, that's less than a cup of coffee. Three bucks bought me a pack of cigarettes in the night. <laughs> So yeah, um, this day, 1992, uh, a interesting part of music history. So. You know, what was a funny, uh, a funny secondary this day in music history. Yeah, that I almost used, but I couldn't find the info on. Was in 1973, a fan shouting "Leather" jumps on stage and bites Lou Reed in the butt. Oh yeah, in Buffalo, <laughs> was ejected, and Lou Reed had a sore posterior. i'll tell you what if somebody bites you in in the butt are you i think your first call should be to a doctor rather than security (laughs) yeah i would try to pound the person who did it and then quickly go for like a rabies (laughs) shot or whatever whatever you need like this Um, human clearly had rabies if he jumped on stage and bit me in the ass but you got to catch me like the first 30 seconds of a show if you don't want a dripping wet ass so I don't know if you want to mess with me in that context. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, speaking of dripping wet asses, uh-huh. Danny, our first story of, of the day, it's been a while since we've talked about Twitter, mainly because both of us, oh, that was, that, that was another uh, side effect of, uh, of Sunday's incident for me. Deleted Twitter off the phone, which you know for God. me is like there cold turkey. Um, and then also got rid of the ESPN app because I, Dude, I was wow. like, I'm done with sports. This was a big deal. De- wow, you really went through <laughs> it. Goodness gracious. Wow. With, and then I, I remembered, oh, Friday, like I got to talk about sports. I feel like friends, you're going to so. need some therapy or I something know, after it was this. Bad. This was deep. Shit. It, was, it, it, it cut really deep. Anyway, deep. first story of the day. Um, as Elon Musk has promised with Twitter, Twi- Twitter's previously blue checkmark verification regime will get uh, a change. So in essence, the story here is that unless you're willing to pay, you won't be able to be verified on Twitter anymore, which I don't know. You know, since you've been off Twitter, Benny, it's kind of become a little bit more of the Wild West. Anybody and their brother is verified and has a blue check marks, So it has become less reliable for information that way. Um, but I understand Elon has to make a buck here. So what do you make of uh, pay for play verification? Yeah, I mean, this is, you know, I could call Elon Musk a lot of things and we could have a long conversation about that dude and his morals and and what the fuck is actually going on. Um, But in this case, I feel like he's the first person who just made an unpopular decision that everybody else is going to do. And, you know, seemingly the ad revenues and stuff like that from these companies like just couldn't match up to the kind of money they needed. And, you know, people make a lot of money and they make a lot of, uh, you know, you know, if you're working for a company that demands you be on Twitter, maybe the company should pay for it, you know, and stuff like that. But 
I think that in this case, I kind of have like a shrug my shoulders. I'm like, if it really does mean that much to you and you're doing that much on Twitter that, um, you know, maybe you sh- you'd be willing to shell out to do it. You would be for any other formula. And I have a feeling in like five, 10 years from now, this is just going to be considered like common practice for these social media sites. And it's probably just the beginning to, to more of this. Oh, so the hard thing is, right, because, you know, you look at what journalism and and newspapers were in the beginning of the Internet and all of their stuff was up there for free and it's not sustainable. And, you know, I I get that he has employees that he has to pay and stuff like that. But it's also social media, man. And the idea that it was some bastion of literature, of news, of information, it's kind of self-important which I guess is the entire idea of social media in, in the first place. Right. So I get he, he has to make a buck. And if you're taking it that seriously, then I think that there's uh, deeper issues at play. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, like, like I said, I mean, some people are really like basing aspects of their livelihood on social media. Now the way, you know, maybe they've created a brand that, that they do or this and that. But if you're literally making money, off social media then you know like who gets a completely free platform like like nobody so this is kind of for me especially now that i'm off twitter (laughs) i mean this probably would have pushed me off twitter anyway because there's no chance i would have paid for that fucking thing so you know it'll uh separate the people who really want to be there and the people who are only marginally there and um but yeah i mean fuck that hellscape you know (laughs) I'm super interested because like like you brought up like the building audiences thing, people that have built a brand there and the entire way of like essentially selling tickets now has has changed. I I was listening to a a podcast with the comedian Burt Kreischer. He talked about the entire way that he, he went from playing like like not being able to sell out rooms of like 400 people to like a 20,000 seat uh, like theater or like stadium and stuff like that is because he just puts his entire life out, out there. So it's, it, it's a whole new world on who's bankable on who sells. And, you know, I, I think Twitter's like, okay, you kind of propped us up. Now you kind of got to you know, pay the piper, so to speak. Yeah, so Yeah. I mean, if you view yourself as a commodity, then you know then it should be worth the money right but mm. but if you don't and you're just somebody who enjoys being there i don't know does anyone <laughs> actually enjoy being on twitter i used to before sunday <laughs> <laughs> all right well next headline today speaking of somebody who is uh not enjoying being here uh the tiktok ceo uh has had a uh, has faced lawmakers, congressmen, everybody in Washington pretty much trying to throw the uh, kitchen sink at uh, the TikTok CEO as the U.S. moves to try to ban the platform in the country. Um, China-based employees at its parent company, ByteDance, uh, and it, it all goes over to who has access to data. So China-based employees at its parent company, uh, ByteDance, uh, may still have access to U.S. data. Uh, this according to a new report. Um, and this is, you know, why this is Im- important here is, uh, U- us officials are trying to, uh, understand what information, uh, the Chinese government has to, 
U.S. consumer data. So that's very important. The But the interesting thing here is that they are technically a private company within China. I get that China, when it comes to ideas and stuff, it's, it's a wild west, and they will take ideas wherever they come from and sell them as their own. Um, TikTok remains steadfast in, in the fact that data has always been uh, in Virginia and in Singapore. Just a complete clashing of ideas here in Washington. So, Benny, what do you kind of make of this as uh, U.S. lawmakers try to be like, uh, tout the communist thing, tout the very much kind of what we saw during McCarthyism, and China is like, hey, we're a business. So, very interesting stuff here. What are your thoughts? Well, I mean, simply like, I think a couple things right off the bat, like, you know, private industry doesn't exactly operate like a private industry in a communist country. And that's not some secret. You know what I mean? Like you have to follow and be part of any number of government, you know, guidelines and and things to that. I mean, I guess you have to, to here, but obviously there's a lot more anonymity. And so the idea that you're a completely private company, not answering to the government at all in a communist country, probably is false. Um, you know, that being said, I know they were saying, oh, TikTok, we have Americans on the board at ByteDance, this and that. Like, it doesn't really matter. And I think when shit hits the fan, you know, if the government wanted to do anything they wanted to ByteDance or TikTok, they probably could and have access to. They also made a fairly strong statement just before this, you know, uh, hearing started saying how they strongly disagree with the sale of it, you know, so even just speaking on it like that kind of lends itself to the fact that it's the little hand in hand, you know, I do think, you know, the, um, the moral side to this, where you're seeing this, this rage of morality from, you know, Congress people from each side of the aisle, I think is kind of comical because of how long we've known which different social media companies have been doing. I mean, from the Facebook whistleblower to, you know, Trump inciting riots on Twitter to, you know, like any number of things where like, save me your fucking moral outrage. And you're this concerned about the kids and the children. I think that, you know, is where we're running into like a technological proxy war. And, you know, there's um, an obvious elephant in the room that's going to help people get elected and help uh, drive fury and drive, you know, oh, let's we got to build more fucking things to go, you know, plant in the Philippines just in case China gets out of control, blah, blah, blah. So, I, you know, but what's interesting, because the countries are so powerful and influential, particularly in tech. I mean, I wonder if we're running into a sort of, you know, technological cold war coming, you know, where there's going to be advances on each side that are no longer shared. And there's going to be, you know, people trying to steal it, which I, I mean, you know, apparently they already are. I'm fairly certain we have been for a long time. I mean, that's one of the comical things about the spy balloon thing is how many goddamn balloons we have floating around the world. So, you know, as much as I'd like to take this on its face for, you know, oh, we're trying to save the kids. We're trying to protect information, which, you know, easily you could you could 
get the layman behind, but, but, you know, I really, because of the context of so many things, you have to question the intention going on right here. Right. I just don't understand the theater because if you watch any of the clips, it's, uh, you know, some guy sitting up there and he's not letting the guy talk. And then the guy is not really giving the answers. It's like, it's like the worst version of a press conference you've ever seen in in your entire life. All under the guise of, Hey, if you don't tell the truth, you're going to go to jail. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. So what's the end of this? What do you think is going to (laughs) happen? I mean, I think that the U.S. government kind of gets its way a lot of the time. If, if there's this much support that something's going to get banned, I think that the days of TikTok are, are, are going to be numbered in this country. But then at, at the same time, you know, as we're up here freewheeling on a what's this, a, a Google based platform. <laughs> right. A, a Go- we're talking right now on a Google platform and an Amazon platform. I just so said China <laughs> seven times. I'm probably on a list. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm on some lists now, you know. Uh oh. <laughs> Here we oh go. yeah, there's no good end to this, and really, it's sad because man, all of this like social media stuff had such potential, and what it didn't even take 15 years for it to go down down the drain this bad. So, I mean, it's the typical thing with with you know, innovation meets capitalism, which is you know, things that people innovate are so. Uh, unregulated, especially at first. There's so few rules. There's such a race to get things out first and, you know, that the other implications are completely ignored until the problem's too fucking big. You know, I think if you slowed this down 15 years ago, really, you know, mapped it out, where is this positive? Where is this negative? Like, how can we protect people? and laid out a decent framework for it, then it probably could have been executed in a, in a way where the fallout's not like this, but this is where, you know, ethics and morality, like I said, meet capitalism and innovation and the two are not exclusive, you know, or are are exclusive. Yeah. Are exclusive. Yeah. Well, Benny, do you want to talk about a innovator here? I do. If it's someone who sings great songs, they are. Okay, so we're talking about Beyonce here. Beyonce and Adidas are reportedly cutting ties. Oh, According no. to The Hollywood Reporter, an insider said that her Ivy Park brand um, and, the, and Adidas have ended their relationship due to creative differences. And here's where it gets fun. I, I love when we bring quotes into the, into <laughs> the thing. Um, Beyonce's team is saying, quote, Beyonce is excitedly looking to reclaim her brand, chart her own path, and maintain creative freedom. Which is all the makings of I'm like one of these TV networks trying to re-up my deal because I know that I can get way more somewhere else. Mm. Um, Beyonce launched it in 2016 uh, with Topshop. That partnership ended in 2018. So she has a history of doing this, of, of sending it out to the highest bidder every time the marketplace shifts. So uh, do you like this? You know, I kind of like somebody like this, you know, putting it out to the open market and seeing what happens. Yeah, to me, this sounded like, uh, you know, when you sign a deal that big with somebody, you you don't have anonymity. Like there is a board and there's their own teams who I'm sure had to at some point either parlay with the idea or sign off on anything that actually became official. And, you know, like... <laughs> Maybe she she ran into like the artist dilemma, you know, where 
She thought a piece was great. This is the nicest thing I've ever seen. You know, this is going to sell. And it goes to some board and the board is like, well, maybe you should adjust it like this or do it like this, which would make somebody who's, you know, uh, creatively invested in this thing to to flip a lid, you know? Yeah. So I think it probably has something to do with that. Beyonce doesn't seem to me like the type of person who likes to answer to anybody. Um, so, uh, you know, that, that could have been a part of this, but, but you're probably more right in the assumption that this is just like the best way for her to, to maximize her money going through this process yet again, you know? And, you know, and it, if you've if uh what Jay-Z has done over his business career, you've you've always trying to parlay up, move, move the next thing up. So that's exactly I mean, that seems to be all what all entertainment is at this point. I mean, because you look at these TV deals with with some of these like NCAA sports leagues, like the Big Ten always being like, Oh, we want seven billion dollars <laughs> right. over one billion dollars. And Beyonce yeah. is that same kind of big business, and she's trying to do the exact same thing. Yeah. I mean, yeah, this is this is money on money. These yeah. people, you know, it's 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 beyond our our peon minds. I believe uh -huh. one day the tune up is just going to renegotiate every two days and be like, boom, next deal. Next deal next Who deal. wants it? Oh, man. And we, yes, that would have been a good segue for Rick Patino, but we're going to leave slick Rick for the end of the show. Okay. Benny, let's move to the NBA here. Please, please. Uh, a guy who make his return. Um, and a guy who we've talked a lot about the last few weeks, John Morant made his return to the Memphis Grizzlies last night. The FedEx forum roared as he got off the bench um, seven minutes into the first quarter, making uh, the All-Star Guard's first appearance after his eight-game suspension. But it is what happened in the stands and with his family that drew attention. Take a listen here. Ja, a lot of your family were wearing sweatshirts that said redemption on it. Um, what did you think of that? And also, are you do you feel like this is a redemption story for you right now? Um, that was my family idea. Um, obviously, you know, it's me coming back, um, you know, after some negative things, you know, have been said, you know, constantly, you know, throughout this whole basically, what, year and a half now, um, so um, how I felt, kind of like a redemption. Obviously, you know, it could have been worse. You know, I, I got a second chance, and, you know, I felt like it's only to make it right, you know, show, you know, who Jai is, you know, as a person. Um, and, you know, that's my family message, you know, with the hoodies. So, Benny, let me toss this up to you. Is John Moran's return a redemption? I mean, I think that this is all part and parcel to some of the issues I'm having with the whole Jaw story in general. Okay, first off, we had a Ricky Henderson third person. This is this is Jaw <laughs> talking about Jaw thing, you know, right there. Like Jesus Christ, dude. And then you know, speaking of Jesus Christ, like, do you know what the dictionary term for redemption is? The is action it? of saving or being saved from sin, error, or evil. You know, like, He's like for fuck's sake, man, you know, this isn't a redemption story. You just fucked up. You fucked up a bunch of times. This wasn't like a whole bunch of people coming after you. If someone had some things to say on talk show or social media, like whatever, deal with it, man. And it's this like, 
really self-aggrandizing thing that's starting to bother me about his whole situation. I saw an interview yesterday where he's talking about, uh, you know, when he, you know, got in trouble with the security guard at the mall or when he confronted like a female volleyball player or something for his sister. And his answer to all of it was, you know, this is like, I had to make sure that, you know, my family was like secure, like that security was good. Like my family is secure. And I'm like, bro, you just made, you're making what? Like $40 million this year. You're about to make like 200 million. Hire a fucking security guard. You know what I mean? Like do something other than yourself, have some sense. So the idea that like within two weeks, you're just completely fucked up. You got suspended. You did this. And now you're on your like path to redemption. Like get over yourself, man. Like this is, you know, I'm really starting to, when this first started, I was really rooting for this to play out in a way where like, I could like this guy again, because between the lines, there's very few people I want to watch more than John Moran. I mean, he he showed you in that first game back. He's incredible, you know, and he's and he's a great player, apparently a great teammate. But like this idea about himself and what you are when you've only had like a certain degree of success already, when you're a very young guy, you're not on a redemption trail, man. Like like you just need to like sort yourself out, shut the fuck up, tell your family to shut the fuck up for a minute and just stop making it about yourself, which has been the problem all along, you know? So I, I don't know. I'm having a harder and harder time digesting this, this John Moran thing with the way that they're presenting it to me as, as a consumer, you know? Well, his entire problem here was the fact that his family has been kind of, you know, they've been around and they've been around and in his business a little bit too much. And what, what are we talking about again? His family. Yeah, it's like right. none of this outside of pulling a gun out at a strip club, which is also funny because in this press conference, Ja was talking about playing with his daughter. When was he playing with his daughter when he was at three at the strip club at three o'clock in, in the morning? So the whole thing, he his circle is too big. And, you know, I'm not a proponent of cutting people out, but sometimes you got to cut the bait if that's what you need. I mean, listen, like you, you, you like to think because this is a, a grown man who's playing NBA basketball, who's obviously physically gifted beyond measure that they're not a baby. Yeah. You know, and sometimes when you see like, sometimes you got to like, like your parents telling you, you can do no wrong eventually goes wrong. You know what I mean? Like someone's got to hold this guy to task and they can't. And that that's the crazy thing about it is like when you're making all the money and everyone is basically your sycophant. I don't think he has a person around who's just telling him what's actually fucking going on, you know? And and it, I don't know, it just it feels unhealthy. I I didn't like the way he came out of the things he came out of and the things he said. It doesn't seemed to me like he really took actual responsibility and and I don't know it's it's getting a little harder to digest and yeah I'm not sure I'm again like you know uh uh you know Kobe was flying uh back and forth from a rape trial playing playoff games like I think this is 
one playoff series away from all of Memphis and a lot of cursory NBA fans are not giving a shit at all, you know, but I honestly like just on a, a level of how much you want to root for someone I've gone from here to here. Yeah. And how long does this last where the relationship is still good with Memphis? Because we talked about last week, how they're no longer, um, flying you know they're no longer staying in cities after the game like they're flying right out you know, it's it's hitting a interesting point pretty quickly yeah it really is it really is and the next uh the next few weeks are really going to show a lot and if they don't what's what's like the timetable for them to get back to or to get to a conference final before this starts to get is ja the guy is ja him yeah it's not like the pressure is going to get less yeah 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 Oh, I, I, I never understand that because our next story is also talking about a guy who has been upping the pressure on himself, and that's Paul George. You know, these guys, they they do what's best for them, but you can only do what's best for you for so long until people want results in return. And yeah. that's exactly what we're kind of seeing with the Clippers right now as L.A. Clippers star Paul George avoided torn ligaments in his right knee. Um, and he does need surgery, but the timeline for him to get back is pretty close to the playoffs. Um, this all happened uh, against the Oklahoma City uh, uh, Thunder on Tuesday. He, he went out, and the Clippers are a, a team who have... Uh, Let's just say that they made load management famous between him and Kawhi Leonard. Uh, a a uh, mix and match of lineups all season long. Um, this is just the, the latest uh, setback, I guess you will, for the Clippers. So what do you make of uh, uh, what this means for Paul George and what this means for the Clippers going forward? You know, I saw, you know, you watched that injury and I was like, oh, shit there goes Paul George for a year. Yeah. You know, that looked crazy. And I was shocked that he didn't bust every ligament in his knee. Cause that's kind of what it looked like, but it, it looks serious. I mean, right now you got the Clippers sitting in the five seed scheduled to play Phoenix. Who's kind of, you know, got a similar situation going on with one of their star players. You know, <sighs> obviously I don't think the Clippers can make any legitimate noise in the playoffs. If Paul George isn't there, I mean, this whole thing is based around their big two. Every move they've made in the last two or three years is to supplement the big two with what they need to win. And when those two are actually on the floor, it seemingly works a lot and they're a great team and they're, you know, almost, unilaterally everybody's preseason favorite to win the title. But this is something you kind of always saw coming. And and it's a shame too because Kawhi's really shaping in the form. I mean you saw that game last night. You know, he's he's turned himself back into a clear top 10, top five player in the NBA again. He's right there. So you know the the thing that really scares me about it is this this reevaluation period you know it's like you know we only have i think 15 16 days left in the season this would mean that the clippers would be starting a series either without paul george or paul george trying to ramp up and get back with the team and you know there's not a lot of wiggle room for a team like that to handle things like that i mean are we really trusting russell westbrook to pick up that load you know like because that's kind of what it's going to take if if it would so, you know, very quickly, I think the 
Clippers went into an even more tenuous situation than they were already in, right? I'm always interested by this reevaluation period because I feel like the Pelicans have been reevaluating Zion right. Williams yeah, since exactly. New Year's Eve. Exactly. So what this could mean, you know, it, it's like it's uh, how my buddy Fran Fischelli would be like, oh, he's two years away from being two years away. Paul right. George is two weeks away from being two weeks away, potentially, which is uh, which is very bad. You know, and, and you're exactly right with Kawhi. Uh, I, I don't think he gets uh, has gotten the respect that the last uh, month or so, mainly because when you look at him next to guys who have also upped their game, like Joel Embiid, who we're going to talk about in a little bit, he uh, uh, Joel's been doing it for a longer stretch of time. But no, Kawhi of late been very impressive and, and a big reason why uh, the Clippers are in that five spot, like you said. So do you think the Clippers have a chance of getting through a first round series with Paul George either being not completely healthy or still ramping it up. I think that they could, but I will tell you for certain when we get to the playoff picture near the bottom of the show. How about that for a tease? All right. There, All we, right, go. there, we, there go. we go. All right. Well, then let's move over across the dojo, so to speak, at uh, Crypto.com Arena. Uh, LeBron James, speaking of guys coming back from injury, LeBron James is getting closer to his return. Uh, LeBron James... Uh, there's increasing optimism among the Los Angeles Lakers organization that the star could return to play a few games in the final week of the season. Uh, this according to ESPN. Uh, but with the way that the Lakers have been playing, I mean, this, that game against the Suns was impressive with this uh, D'Angelo Russell, uh, Reeves lineup, Anthony Davis. Uh, what do you make of the Lakers getting LeBron back? And what could this team look like? Ah, you know, it's hard to say because, you know, I think they, you know, had the benefit and, and it happens sometimes of like when you put a group together and a group who people are, you know, sort of unilaterally saying, ah, oh, what are these moves? This isn't going to work. That's stupid. Hmm. Um, you know, they were motivated, highly motivated. And it was a new group of people. You had your Vanderbilt jumping out. It was already slowed down, um, you know we have a lot of track record on D'Angelo Russell and the idea that like, I, I don't know. I don't trust D'Angelo Russell still, even though he's been quite good. So, you know, as far as the supporting cast is concerned, I think they're doing an incredible job kind of keeping the ship afloat, but I don't trust this group to, to continue that, especially if the Lakers get through, I mean, they're going to wind up with Denver, you know, in the first series or something like that, you know, and without a uh, healthy LeBron James, I just don't think they stand a chance. Um, that being said, I mean, the nature of his injury kind of puts him in the Paul George category here where it's like, do I really think like LeBron James hasn't started uh, basketball activities yet, you know, like, and do I think he's actually going to be playing next week? No, I don't. Um, and I don't know why they're, even making it a thing to float it. But um, I, I think the Lakers are such a tricky team because, you know, in these, in these stretches where Anthony Davis is Anthony Davis. Wow. You know, the, 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 this could win with anyone. The stretches where LeBron is on the court and engaged, like, wow, this could be, you know, good with anyone. Uh, Austin Reeves breaking out. It's a lot of fun. You know, all these new complimentary pieces, Beasley, you know, just just 
gunning from any chance he gets. He's like the West Joe Harris. Um, but I think you need like this complete roster to to even start making a dent in the in the West and especially having to get through probably a couple pretty brutal series in the first couple. So I, I'm I'm uh pessimistic that this is all gonna come together and come back together in a good way. I mean, bear in mind, LeBron hasn't played with this new unit, you know, and remember like LeBron James runs an offense and the offense runs through him. He's not a complimentary player. He's not going to be sitting in the corner waiting for D'Angelo Russell to create and pop him one, you know, that's just not how it's going to work. So I think that it's very tenuous um, I don't totally trust the idea is going to get back as, as soon as they're saying. And then to be able to get through the kind of series they're going to have to get through, figuring it out on the fly, it's a, it's a tough sell for me. I thought it was interesting what uh, Patrick Beverly said on his podcast about uh, how the Lakers played de- defensively when he was with the Lakers, with LeBron and without LeBron. He was like, when LeBron uh, was not on the court they were in sync there was connectivity there was everything you want in an nba defense but then lebron gets back and you have to play a certain way and lebron wants you to play a certain way defensively either to cover his own defensive efficiencies which sometimes at times can be glaring or you know just the defensive scheme that he fits best in so there's and it was two schemes that you'd have to throw out depending on what your personnel is which is uh I think that's uh, been the issue with coaches that he's had over his career is adjusting to that. I mean, and again, like all of this being said, if you're getting peak LeBron James and peak Anthony Davis, all these conversations are moot because those two can drive this team through maybe most teams in the West, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But it's just the idea and the track record of the idea you know, LeBron coming back from injury and Anthony Davis sustaining himself through three or four hard playoff series. Uh, it's, 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 I'm pessimistic again. And I think almost what Darvin Ham has to do with LeBron is make everything that Darvin Ham thinks of an idea for his defensive scheme. Uh-huh. He'd be like, Hey, LeBron, this is your idea. And like, like, Bring it to LeBron, make oh. LeBron bring it to the team, and you're like, I'm I'm a genius. I'm pretty sure that's what Ty Lu did in Cleveland. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. I mean, that's kind of how it got to, it has to work, yeah. you know. This is why I'm also I'm laughing at the idea that like whoever drafts Bronny is just gonna be <laughs> stoked to take LeBron in, you know, like like enjoy the show for a yeah. year or two, you know, and and, and then enjoy retooling your roster for him and then leaving Bronny with fucking nothing when he decides to retire. <laughs> uh, I, I feel bad for Jamal Mosley already. That, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. I know it's been so much fun. It's been so, so much fun, much for, the fun magic. for him. Yeah. All right. Well, since we're already in the East talking about the magic, let's move a little bit up, up I 95. Shall we? Let's get to Philadelphia. The 76ers remain one of the league's hottest team uh, with eight straight wins, including wins over the Cavs, Hornets, Pacers this week. Uh, the offense looks unstoppable. Uh, Joel Embiid averaging 30, Five points a game the last three games, helping Philadelphia to a uh, 130.6 offensive rating. Just ridiculous. Uh, they're now jockeying with the Celtics for the second seed in the East after going 9-1 in their last 10. Um, may, maybe even at some point uh, could push the Bucks, but we will see at this point. Benny, 
are the Sixers for real? And could they get to the conference finals, depending on the matchup and even potentially the NBA finals? It hurts my heart to answer your question like this, but yes and yes. And, you know, I see a team here that I think has flown a little under the radar this Mm -hmm. year, right? Like, like most of the conversations been about the big two in the East, you know, Boston and Milwaukee. And then Philly was kind of put into that, you know, secondary tier of, of teams in the East. But I think that Philly has proven themselves to obviously be in this top tier. They're a step above your, your Miami Cleveland's New York's and it's pretty obvious. Uh, and they retooled to the point that I think they have everything they need, you know, like Joel Embiid is, is on a, on an absolute manhunt out there. Harden is playing, he's having a really nice season. You know, I know it's like another hard thing to admit and ingest, but he's having a really nice season. And he seemingly has maybe bought into the idea that his, you know, 11 assists a game are more important than what he used to be in Houston. And the idea that you got to control the ball for, for 21 seconds and take a crazy step back three, one out of every two or three possessions has kind of gone away. Uh, Maxi is just a, you know, a stroke of lightning, you know, especially coming off the bench. Tucker gave him toughness. Melton gave them toughness, especially on D Tobias Harris, you know, albeit grossly overpaid. Uh, who wouldn't like that guy as your fourth option on, on any given night? Jalen McDaniels came in and gave, you know, like, um, so I think they have everything they need. Uh, and I do think that Philly can, can, can get through. I mean, um, particularly if they can be, you know, they're going to have to go through two just, you know, monolith playoff series. But the one thing that I'm semi convinced of now is that I think the top three teams in the East are markedly better than almost anybody coming out of the West. Uh, and I think the second round of the, the Eastern Conference playoffs may wind up being the most engaging series we're going to get this playoffs. Yeah. And I think when from the Sixers' perspective, this may be one of Doc Rivers' best coaching jobs since he was in Boston or even or Orlando, for that matter. I think... Th- so many coaches have tried and failed uh, to get James Harden to become the assist guy, to become the 11 assist a night guy. And this roster that he kind of put together slash inherited this season, it was designed for success, but it wasn't meant for Doc Rivers to have success. Mm. And the way he has made, made, made all of the pieces fit, um, just unbelievable. And really getting the most out of Joel and be in a way that we have not seen as Philadelphia 76ers coach get the most out of Joel. I mean, part of that is uh, Joel growing in his career, becoming older. But I think, you know, having a guy like P.J. Tucker, I know he may not light up the statue, but what he has brought to this team um, brings a a lot of continuity and a guy who you're going to need around this time of year. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, and just there's a couple people on this roster now who are sitting there with the ability to hold everyone to task. Yeah. You know, and that that's something that's always been missing here. And, you know, remember, like Embiid's not old. Yeah. You know, he's been around for a long time, but this is kind of 
normally, you know, especially historically with the NBA, this is the time that guys finally break through, you know, and, and pull this stuff off. Um, so yeah, I think they're right there in the mix. I think, you know, with what we've seen from Boston and, and their holes, uh, you know, I, I think there's a lot of a lot of ways that Philly could get through the East right now. For you right now, right? If 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 you had to make your vote today, MVP, Jokic and Bead, who are you going with? I don't make me do that. Okay, then we'll save that. Because guess what? There is 15, 16 days left in the season, and votes aren't due yet. So why hand in the homework early? Yeah, not hand in yet. Not hand in yet. All right, Benny, let's move on to our last NBA story for the day. And this is a segment we'll affectionately call if the playoffs started today. So let me set the stage for you here a little bit. Let's go through the play-in tournament first in the West, and then we'll get to the East, and then we'll just run through the whole thing. So if the if the play-in tournament started today, you would have the Lakers versus the Pelicans in the 9-10 matchup and Minnesota versus Dallas in the 7-8 matchup. Um, do you think, and this is how I'm going to pose all of them to you. Do you think that this is going to be what it's like when the plan actually starts? I mean, no, like, because, you know, right now, currently between the seven seed and the 12 seed, you have one game separating them. Yeah. Uh, from the five seed to the 12 seed, you have three games separating them. So, you know, this, this shifts every night. Um, you know, with the exception of the one, two, three, Denver, Memphis, Sacramento, anybody could still fall into the play and anyone could fall out of the play. And you still have the Jazz trying to win games. You have the Thunder trying to win games. You have the Pelicans who, you know, just beat up on a few bad teams, but, you know, put themselves right back there. And then you have a lot of question marks for some other ones, you know, like what is Dallas? How healthy is everybody? You know, what is can go is golden state going to win some more road games like what happens to the clippers without paul george uh can the suns maintain you know playing devin booker and chris paul such heavy minutes without durant when you're getting so much ish wainwright and stuff like that there's so much uncertainty in the west you know there's a couple teams that i think you know are sort of solidifying in an interesting way one one of which is the t wolves you know i i even though Anthony Edwards is out, uh, you know, I think he's seemingly supposed to come back anytime uh, before a playoff thing started. But watching Carl Towns in his first game back and remembering, like, it's kind of been an afterthought, you know, through the season because of uh, last year's, you know, uh, you know, playoff debacle and things like that. But he, um, you know, you, you forget the, the kind of, awful mismatch he is for like any big man in the league and what a dynamic offensive player he is. And then you're mixing it now with, you know, Conley, you know, very competent and put together Gobert and McDaniels who are both like exceptional, if not all NBA defensive players. And, you know, there's some weird teams that can start making some noise in the West. So, I mean, if you had to put a gun to my head right now, I think the Lakers beat the Pelicans. I think the T-Wolves uh, beat the Mavericks. Um, but, you know, you know, even that fight from going to nine to eight is going to mean a lot because having to, to win one game as opposed to two against these teams is kind of huge. So it's, it's a true, like, uh, it's funny it's going on out West because it, it's like the Wild West out there, yeah. you know, and 
But, you know, I love the fact that every night there's these just major, major implications to almost every game going on out there. 100%. This this plan tournament has changed the complete fabric of how teams build and, and, and what they think that their motto is. The, the Dallas Mavericks are an interesting case because they have been, uh, you know, like you kind of called... Uh, the model of inconsistency. So they could be anywhere from the 10 to uh, actually in the playoffs, depending on how this situation goes. But some interesting potential. Uh, first round, actually, let's move over to the Eastern Conference and then we'll back hop on over to, to the West. Uh, for right now, in, in the play-in tournament in the East, uh, it would be seven, your seven-seed Brooklyn Nets going up against the Hawks. Um, depending on the night, I think that, that the Nets could take care of business there. And then uh, interesting matchup here, Toronto, Chicago in the yeah. 9-10. You know, I, I, I like the way Toronto's looked since the Pirtle trade, and I think it has solidified their lineup where I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about what they could pull off uh, in a one-game series. They also have, you know, people forget, they have experience. You know, and there's guys on that team who are still on that team who've been together a long time and have some playoff battle tested experience. So I like Toronto in that regard. Brooklyn, Atlanta right now to me is like such a head scratcher <laughs> because it's like, you know, part of me is like, who cares? Yeah. You know, the one thing that makes the West interesting is like, I can see a healthy Lakers. I can see a healthy Timberwolves or Warriors really giving the Nuggets, Grizzlies, Kings, any of the top three teams a really hard time. Mm. You know, in the East, I'm not seeing that at all. Like when you're telling me this group of teams like the Nets, Hawks, Raptors, Bulls is going to do anything against the Bucks or the Celtics, yeah. I don't buy it. So, you know, I think the West play-in is a lot more interesting because of the talent, uh, you know, at the top and the bottom of that league um really battling it out when to me it's a bit of um uh, an afterthought that any of these lower eastern conference teams are going to be able to take on the big boys there a hundred percent and it'd be really fascinating when you're talking about the eastern conference like like you said the second round matchups uh looking as of right now that it would be a philadelphia boston second round which is super unfortunate if how many times has this happened in doc river's career <laughs> a lot like way too many times yeah a lot a lot but you know hopefully his 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 boy d anthony melton can bring him to the promised land this year and then a similar matchup in the western conference when we're looking about potential matchups here um sacramento golden state the three six i you know if if we're talking match march madness terms that could be a upset there or the fact that a team like uh, like the Lakers would have to go up against Denver in the first yeah. round. Yeah. And there's some ge you know, geographic stuff that's fun there because, you know, the Bay area of Sacramento, not that mm -hmm. far. Um, you know, I think you'll have a lot of traveling fans and a lot of heat on that game. Suns Clippers, kind of the same yeah. thing. Um, so I think, you know, again, like some of these first round Western matchups are great. I mean, the only one with a lot of heat to me, is uh Cavs Knicks, you know, at the four or five because of, of Mitchell and you know how how much he's gonna get fucking slammed at the garden and how um you know the fans there are, are incredible and and like I, I think that that one could be a lot of fun. I'm I'm hoping that Cavs Knicks stay in the four or five there. 
Me too. Or if the Knicks fall down and we get Knicks Sixers first round, wouldn't be mad at that either. But no. I, I, I don't think the Knicks are going anywhere. No, that'll be fun. And I'll tell you one thing too. Yeah. I think everybody in the East would love to avoid a series with Miami right now. Oh yeah, because yeah. no one, no one wants to bang around with Jimmy and Bam for six, seven games, win or not, right now to get through. That's that's that that could be a real factor in in who's going to get through the East. Just like Tom Izzo in March, I don't want to go against Eric Spolstra in April. No, so, no. But uh, speaking of college basketball, just real quick before we get out of here, uh, Rick Pitino, who has. Uh, this ceremoniously was let go by Louisville, did his whole journey of basketball, coaching uh, professionally mm-hmm. in Greece, then now with the Iona Gales, has been named the St. John's basketball head coach. Rick Patino, back in the Big East, six-year deal, uh, said his version of essentially what Coach Prime said when he got to Denver, I'm coming with my luggage, and it's Louis, essentially saying that a lot of St. John's teams won't be back. What do you make of Rick Patino being back in big-time college basketball? I love it. You know, I mean, I just hope he doesn't he doesn't do anything crazy uh, that fucks it up this time because, you know, I kind of root for the Johnnies, you know, Um, but, you know, New York guy coming back home. uh, I think the setup here is kind of great. And I would love to see St. John's back on the the national map, you know, Mm -hmm. so I think it's fun. Um, You know, we're seeing I just hope uh, Patino can keep himself in check and not do anything stupid there. Huge for the Big East TV, the Big East TV deal. I think it expires in 2024, 2025. Yeah, Having Rick yeah. in, um, you know, we had a little drama within the conference. Uh, Ed Cooley, the coach of Providence for a very long time, was like, peace out. I'm going in conference to Georgetown. Uh, you got Sean Miller, who has never been afraid of controversy at Xavier. Uh, so just a, a whole lot of coaches with a whole lot of swagger. Benny, Big East is back, baby. Yeah, <laughs> you're loving it. Who would have thought Rutgers <laughs> left and it actually stayed legitimate? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh man, Rutgers, Rutgers, Rutgers. Oh, boy. Oh, anyway, plenty of ways to get in contact with the show. We did have an email if you want to get to it real quick, Benny. Oh, please. We do have an email. This coming in at the tuneuppodcast at gmail.com. Uh, two P's in there. It's from Matt Horowitz. Uh-huh. And he wants to know about the town liar project that you got going on. He stumbled upon it through Instagram. Uh, a couple of friends suggested it as well. He wants to know what's next for that. Uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a side project. Yeah. You know, I, I'm the only one in the band without a nine to five and I got a, you know, a full-time job as it, as it says, but we recorded the EP uh, lies one through seven. It's on Bandcamp. We got, some new songs in the tank we'll be recording and then a few shows this summer um, playing in April at a fun New Brunswick basement show, Trinity church in Asbury in July. So it's, it's become a f- very fun project. I'm really enjoying getting together with it. And he affectionately wrote about it on his website. We'll give it pub. Uh, it's, it's the, witsword.com you know wizard but with you know like horowitz love that so go give matt a read good stuff great articles on his website was perusing through it before so uh a little free pub for matt big ups big ups horowitz that's right so horowitz fam it's a family affair here beautiful name beautiful name 
All right. As I said, plain ways to get in contact with the show. Email us. I will anything, anything you want to talk about. If you want advice, whatever, we're here for you. Uh, <laughs> be sure to subscribe on YouTube. All the good stuff coming your way. You'll know when we're live. You'll know when we're doing all the stuff. Uh, follow us on social media while social media still That's exists. One social media. <laughs> That's right. Uh, Benny's on Instagram at Benny Horowitz. We are on all the platforms. Tune up HQ. I'm at Denny Gallagher. Benny, you got anything else? Everybody, love everybody, please. The show has ended. Go in peace. You've been listening to and watching the Tune Up. <laughs>